Hello, and welcome to Marathon Swim Stories, where we explore the human side of the superhuman feats of endurance swimmers and those who support them. I'm marathon swimmer and coach, Shannon Keegan. Today, I had the distinct pleasure of hearing Bob Fernald's marathon swim story. While a late-onset swimmer is a theme in marathon swimming, I don't consider his a typical story. While he dabbled in triathlon, like other runners turned triathlete, he hated the swim. Ultimately, Bob found comfort and efficiency in the water by way of Pilates. My clients will tell you I beat the posture in the water through Pilates drum. Core stability and awareness are key. So much of swimming is knowing where you are and what you're doing in the water. When is the last time you swam aware? I hope you enjoy Bob's story. Bob, what's your story? Well, how did, uh, well, I guess, um, thank you for the invitation to start off. Um, I haven't listened to a lot of um, your guest speakers, but I gather they probably fall into a few different category types. And I would fall under the category of adult onset swimmer category who um, didn't have a swim background growing up. Um, The kind of the cliff notes version of the story is uh, I wanted to fish with my neighborhood buddy and work on a lobster boat and the, um, uh, ticket to entry was wearing one of those big orange life preservers with the three buckles. Remember those? Mm-hmm. And then I had to take a couple of swim lessons. And coincidentally, I found my original first um, American Red Cross swim lesson card from <laughs> 19. I'm not going to say. I'm just not going to say. Um, and uh, so I took. Um, the beginner, the advanced beginner, and the intermediate Red Cross classes over two summers. Um, and I also took a junior lifeguard class because they were like uh, the um, instructors were pushing, saying, oh, it's a great summer job. And, and so I t- took the course, but I never took the test because I was 15 and I didn't think I, or I was young, a lot younger than that at the time. And I, was, I didn't think I could um, uh, work. So I pulled a no-show on the test. <laughs> so then I started to work on um, my friend's boat. Uh, his father had a um, gill netting business and um, uh, the kids had a 16 foot skiff with a hundred lobster traps. And so we hauled 50 one day and haul 50 the next day. And, you know, unfortunately I didn't make cash but I got paid in lobster. <laughs> and uh, so, it, that was kind of, uh, you know, my youth. And, you know, I got into high school. I was not unathletic. Um, I played a little bit of soccer um, and uh, some city league basketball. But as soon as I figured out I could make money, you know, as a kid, I just started to do jobs, you know, working construction, you know, um, on the side, under the table with friends and neighbors and stuff. So I never really continued into sports life beyond maybe a sophomore in college or a sophomore in high school and then uh, went to school. No 
sports at all. <clears throat> Graduated. Yeah, nothing. Uh, not even no uh, sports offered at the place I went. So I uh, got a job with a decent company in a growing industry and got sent all over the world um, and wound up um, in Northern California uh, working in Silicon Valley. And uh, I got involved in a nonprofit to um, run a marathon for the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Mm-hmm. And that program, you raise money, they train you, you go to, you know, San Diego, Alaska, New York, you know, um, Honolulu, we would take you to um, these destination places to run your first marathon, but you raise, you know, four times the cost to get you there, essentially. Mm-hmm. So it was a really good program. And so my girlfriend's mom got sick and um, she passed away. And so I trained and ran in her honor. And um, the program was very inclusive and welcoming. And, you know, they asked me to stay on board and mentor because they liked my interaction with other people. And soon Mm -hmm. that led into a um, marathon coaching role, which I said, you know, I don't understand the technical physiology, you know, what happens part, you know, I can talk to people and they're like, yeah, but we can coach you and train you on the technical part. Mm. But we cannot train and coach technical people on the interpersonal part. You either have it or you don't. Mm. So I was like, fair enough. <laughs> so that was my introduction to coaching. And along the way, my peer coaches, um, you know, are um, marathon qualifier type runners. Mm-hmm. Um, Vince was a uh, um, Seoul Korea um, downhill ski team mm-hmm. uh, Olympian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I started hanging out with these really high caliber people and, you know, they kind of bullied me into saying, Hey, you know, if you can run a marathon, you can do a triathlon. Mm. <laughs> and so I said, well, you know, you guys swim. I hear about you swimming all the time, you know, some, you know, program at some college, you know, and they said, uh, yeah, but you should come and join and try it. You can do this sprint stuff. It's really short. You got the rundown, you know, the bike, if you have a bike, you can fake it, you know, <laughs> You know the story, right? This is not a this is not the first original story, right? So I'm hanging out with people and and um, that are really cool. We're all single professionals, and it was just a fun group, and I wanted to be included even more. So they said, "Well, why don't you come and join us for a workout?" And I said, "Okay, um, what's the program? Tell me about it." And they're like, "Well, it's called U.S. Masters," and I was like, "No, nah, no master." <laughs> There's got to be, just send me to the beginner part. You know, that's good. I'm I'm cool with that. And so I go, you know, I agree to go and they say, you know, the location is at Stanford University and I'm like completely intimidated. And when I walk into their pavilion and it's a beautiful sunken pavilion, um, very beautiful, uh, you know, division one school facility. And the first three people I see are Dara Torres, Jenny Thompson, and six-time oh, Ironman champion Dave Scott, all like <laughs> going to swim in the same pool that I'm about to swim into. I think I was like in my young 30s, so mm-hmm. it had been you know 50, 20 plus years since I jumped in the water for anything um, other than a bath, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I go, and it's a 50-meter pool. It's just this gigantic, you know, thing, you know. And uh, you know, the coach kind of looks at me and tells that 
I'm a fish out of water because I'm wearing running shorts. <laughs> right? I've got my goggles on upside down with the labels still on the lens. You know, and I'm looking for my friends. Right. I'm looking for Vince. Right. So she says, hey, you know, I'm like, hey, and says, you know, <laughs> this is the beginner lane. And I told her my story and, you know, Vince wasn't there and, and everybody else. They were late. So I go into the slow lane. I swim 50 meters. And this is with the old pool with a higher deck and then a gutter below them. Mm -hmm. I get to the other side. Don't know how long it took me, but I puked. (laughs) And I haven't told too many people on the West Coast the story unless they've seen, (laughs) you know, a a video of mine or so. But, uh, you know, so I'm kind of cupping it into the well. (laughs) And I go on to swim maybe another 20 minutes total and I get out. And this is like a Sunday morning workout where they spend two hours in the pool. Hmm. And uh, the coach says, how'd you do? And I'm like, you know, this, uh, you know, I'm not going to tell you I threw up or anything, but, <laughs> right. you know, I tried to stick it out for a few links, you know, and um, she says, well, Vince and everybody are here. Join us for coffee after over at Pete's. I'm like, okay, social part. So the master social part took over. Mm-hmm. And I went back the next weekend and I made it in, you know, 20 minutes without throwing up. So, <laughs> progress. And so, you know, I went on to do, I think, you know, three sprints, a couple of Olympics and three half Ironman triathlons. And like every other triathlete hated the swim. You know, I just didn't feel comfortable. I didn't like the getting the snot beaten out of me. And get me on the bike. I felt better. Got me on the run. I was more in my element because I had um, stick stuck with running as I was a marathon coach, and and um, that was my primary, you know, outlet for exercise. Mm-hmm. So I left the West Coast somewhere around 2004 and moved back to the Seacoast in New Hampshire, and um, um, didn't swim. Still biked. I did the what we call the Pan Mass Challenge out here. It's a two-day, I think, 184-mile event that goes from central Massachusetts all the way out to the tip of Cape Cod. Running, and it's biking. A, it's a, a biking. Bike, yeah. okay. And it's a major cancer, local, you know, 30 million a year. Everybody does it. Um, but I didn't swim. And so one winter, I was, you know, not wanting to get on the trainer, not wanting to go run outside. Didn't really know about snowshoe running back then, but so I said, you know, why don't I try to go back to the pool, see what happens. So um, I went to the pool and I felt like I was swimming. I felt really good. I just was like, this is crazy. And the coach of me, you know, took over and said, you know, this is a muscle memory thing. You got, if it feels good, you got to do it. You know, it feels right. And so then after a little while longer, the coach of me took over and said, well, you ought to stop. This isn't for free. You got to drink water. You know, that sort of thing. And so I stopped and it was dark out. The lifeguards had changed and I had stopped swimming at an hour and 45 minutes. Oh, wow. And I was like looking over my shoulder, like what the hell just happened? You know, this is, you know, it's not real. It can't be real. So I was tired in my shoulders and I said, you know, I probably just really did something stupid. You know, if I were to do that running, I would pay a price somewhere. And so the next day I was fatigued and tired and heavy. I took another day off and I said, you know, let me go back again, just see if that wasn't a fluke thing. And so I had the same feeling, of course I was tired, Mm -hmm. but I had the same feeling like I was not working in the water. Mm -hmm. 
So I'm like, wow. And so then I met these two guys in the pool, Guy Davis and Ed Gendra. They saw me swimming and they were like, hey, and they introduced themselves. You know, the swim community is very welcoming and very open. And they're like, hey, what's your name? Where are you from? What's your, you know, what's your story? And I'm like, well, you know, I just moved back home. You know, I was living on the West Coast. They're like, oh, did you swim out there? And I said, yeah. And did you, did you do any Masters swimming? And I said, yeah, I swam with Stanford Masters. And they both went, Stanford <laughs> Masters? Oh, my God, we got a ringer, man. We got a ringer here. And I'm like, uh, so what, what do you mean ringer? And they're like, you know, well, we do these races, you know, like pool races. Mm-hmm. And they never told me about that in California. <laughs> right probably because i was the one in the slow lane <laughs> yeah, but it's like the elite right. team or whatever yeah <laughs> you know and stanford you know there was a lot of good athletes you know they would joke on facebook to guests that would want to come over from europe and they're like hey is there a place to swim and they're like yeah you know we usually cruise at you know 110 long course this is right and it's like and these guys you know dave dave scott was there jen thompson was there. it's crazy so So anyways, they, you know, I told them, I said, you know, I don't even know what pool racing is. And they're like, you know, jumping off the blocks, you know, and all And I'm like, what? I don't know. You know, like, well, you should join masters. And so they convinced me and I did. And then um, they got me to, you know, sign up for a couple of meets and that, you know, masters camaraderie thing took over. And so I was the guy that only did one stroke style. I only did freestyle and it was long and you know I would join the workouts and feel like a fish out of water because I couldn't butterfly well and I breaststroke forget about it you know I could fake a backstroke and I just didn't want to do it because I liked what was happening in my freestyle Mm. it was just I didn't have to work Mm -hmm. go forever Mm -hmm. so then I started to think about taking it back out to the open water again to see how comfortable I felt my first foray back um was the um um, and we call it an ocean challenge up here, the double light swim, which is mm-hmm. a two and a half mile ish, um, event that John Gale has swum every single year that it's, um, been held. Wow. He's the, one of a few people. Awesome. So on a wicked cold day, and I mean, it was 48 degree water, foggy guy, you were there right to that day. Yeah. <laughs> So we were looking out at the water. You, you couldn't see, you know, 400 yards. There was four foot swell coming at you that we had to punch through. And uh, we thought no race, you know, but then the fog burned and they threw us in the water. And that was the, and I swam without a wetsuit. Wow. Um, because I had tried putting on a wetsuit and it was like, you know, uh, just, <laughs> a lot of you know I can't feel my arms. I lost everything that I had felt. Yeah. Right. So I jumped in and I, you know, we're sitting at the shoreline and I saw two other swimmers without wetsuits on. And one of them was this uh, um, woman with all this ink on her legs. And, you know, and I, so I kind of like, you know, squeeze up next door and I'm like, Hey, how you doing? I'm Bob. And she goes, Hey, I'm Elaine. I'm like, Oh, nice to meet you. I'm like, so is this your first open water swim? (laughs) No. (laughs) <laughs> it's like no 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 she just like strung me out right just like blew me along I'm like oh really well you know done this before she goes yeah once or twice <laughs> i'm like really what have you swum she's like well the english channel and i'm like oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> Jesus. 
talking a royalty here. You know? <laughs> and this wasn't even a this wasn't even a thought on my radar screen yet. Mm-hmm. So wicked cold day, 48 degree, you know, temperature at the coldest part we call the gut and somehow survived it, you know, without a lot of knowledge, Elaine, you know, helped me out. Everybody, you know, made sure that, that I was, as I was going into resonant frequency mode for shaking, that I could still carry on a conversation. And and back then we just didn't know too much, Mm -hmm. you know, about it because it was all new. Mm -hmm. So a little while later, I started to think about bigger things. And I, I, I talked to guy and I know one question you always ask and guys, you know, are my, my most humble uh, training partner. Um, and he won't believe this. Um, he may leave the call, but when you always <laughs> ask the question, who was your first inspiration about, you know, going to do long distance swimming? And it was guy guy gave me a book. Um, and it was Marsha Marsha's book Dover solo. Mm-hmm. And I read that thing about 18 times and it's really? like all tattered and the spine was, and I ended up losing it somehow, but and I had all my notes and it. it came to the English channel with me eventually, but that, you know, kind of planted the seed because I said, Hey, I'm a marathon runner. Mm, yeah. And I'm like, maybe I can run, maybe I can swim a marathon. Maybe I can swim 26.2. That would be cool. Right. <laughs> Not knowing yeah. anything. Right. Yeah. So guys like, yeah, so the measurements are a little different you know, <laughs> in swimming. And he says, you know, a marathon swim is about 10 kilometers, six miles. I'm like, yeah. well, that doesn't seem very far. you know it's not a marathon and and then he goes on to explain ultra marathons and so you know over the course of training and our you know beautiful resource that's you know less than a few miles away um i uh started to feel more confident i said you know i gotta throw a goal out there Mm -hmm. so after reading marsh's book for probably the fourth time you know there's contact information you know for mike orham so Mm -hmm. i'm reading along and I'm like, so just let me send a little email. <laughs> right. And I'm reading along and ding. it's like, just send me 500 pounds, you know, and you know, we'll get you a date. Next thing wow. you know, I'm on, you know, <laughs> wiring 500 pounds, you know, we pick a date and now I have a date. So now okay, I have a goal. goal. <laughs> yeah. So, but it's a, it's a couple years out, you know, so I wanted to be pretty methodical about it. And so I did the typical, we call it the New England graduation of open water swims you start at a two point x mile and then you go up to the boston light swim and then you go up and see phil white mm-hmm. and you do all of his crazy distances and then you cruise down to see liz and do her swim across the sound you know and then yeah. you know you do your final training for the channel and that was kind of my progression um the swim across the sound didn't go well from a odd standpoint we had just brutal conditions four foot mm. waves I had a sailboat for a support boat. So with no sail up, they took a pounding, an absolute pounding. Learned all about, you know, maybe Marsha's food delivery system, as she describes in her book on the pole, is good in some conditions. Not not good in the ocean. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Lost a couple water bottles. You know, it was a bad day. Um, But I made it across and I was getting pushed by the cutoff times the whole way because I was, it was, conditions were that rough. The fleet was falling off left and right, you know? Wow. And um, so they said, you got to get to that channel marker in two minutes. And I just put my head down and gave it what I had. I made it. And they said, you're good to finish. So I'm like, oh, 
So I slowed down, you know, I'm like, okay, let me lengthen out and around the corner into the yachting area where all the marinas are. And um, I can see the balloons, you know, it's 400 yards away. I'm like, sweet. All of a sudden I swim up onto the back of my sailboat, my you know, support boat and the ladder's down. And I, and I, and I look up and there's the captain and he says, the event's over. Oh no. <laughs> and I knew once I touched that, it was over. Yeah. Right. And I knew that I had signed up that I have to follow the captain's orders. Mm, mm, man. Right. So I, I climbed up and um, there's, I, on my boat was a, you know, a just graduated 19 year old emergency medical technician that was all over me. Like I was, you know, um, uh-huh. like death warmed over. Oh no. And I was pretty fine. You know, he took my pulse rate after a couple minutes and he says, oh, that's got to be wrong. <laughs> and I says, really, why is that? And he goes, because I'm reading 95. And I'm like, didn't you just graduate? Doesn't the pulse have to be a multiple of like six, or four, <laughs> right? Isn't that how you do it, right? And so he measures me again and my heart rate had come down. And so I, I didn't know what had happened until I got back to the car and I talked to my brother and he said, yeah, once you rounded the corner at that channel marker, you slowed down. Oh. That's, why, that's why I asked you how you were doing at the next feed. And your answer was better than a cancer patient. That Ooh. was my answer. <laughs> I feel much better than any cancer patient. I got this. And the boat captain and the EMT, and granted, they'd been out there for 10 hours because it was that kind of day. Um, they were like, you know, it's over. And they pulled me. So it wasn't a race decision. Right. It was their decision. Still, yeah. I, so I DNF'd, right? Yeah. Then word got around to Liz and Liz says, that's bullshit. They were supposed to call me. Then I was supposed to say, what's going on with the swimmer and, you know, get involved. And, um, and I just figured it was over because we were well past the nine and a half hour mark mm-hmm. um, at that point. So um, that didn't go well. And I DNF'd. Next year, I go up to swim um, the kingdom swim or, or meant for Magog. And I make it about 15 miles and I have a physical injury. I pop a rib head out of my back and my oh, scapula was kind of clicking. And when I, you know, I was 15 miles in with 10 to go. And so you're doing wasn't... the search. The... Yeah. The search, yeah. Mm-hmm. my, my, my shot at the search. So I had to bail because yeah. I couldn't. What year it. was that approximately? Um, 2013. Okay. So now it's September. I'm injured. I have the channel next July and I'm not feeling very good. I'm three months in rehab and I approach January and I'm like, you know what? I got to give it a shot. You know, I mm-hmm. can't quit now. So I was able to really build my um, cumulative hours per week pretty rapidly without injury. And that's, you know, um, part of the story I skipped, which was all of a sudden, you know, how I realized that I could swim efficiently was because I had been practicing Pilates for about four years. And mm. my, my instructor was somebody who, you know, had Joseph Pilates that created it. He taught 12 people and she learned from one of the 12. Wow. So it was really, you know, authentic, the classical and very regimented and strict. And I just did what I was told because mm-hmm. it was an exercise format. And so she says to me, how do you think you got that way? And I'm like, you know, I don't know. And she smacks me in the head and she's like, Pilates. Mm-hmm. And Pilates doesn't make you an automatic 
you know, better athlete. It, take, it just takes this crappy posture that I'm sitting in right now <laughs> and makes me aware of that. And mm-hmm. then I now have the ability through the part of Pilates, which is called contrology, is to sequence, sequencingly control the muscle groups to correct the posture mm-hmm. <laughs> and get them where they should be and develop the strength to hold that mm-hmm. over a long period of time, but most of us will all start this way. And then we're like, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> so I, I just took this great posture and I put it in the water. Yep. And that's all it was. The rest yep. was paddling, right. And yep. then feeding the beast and controlling the brain. But so um, anyways, that was the, that was the, uh, the thing that led me to go on to, you know, the, the discovery part of the story. Mm-hmm. So uh Back in January, I'm starting to build the miles. I'm getting up there pretty well. I'm feeling pretty comfortable. Um, March comes along. I had a really good heavy month, like um, four, 10 or 11 hour weeks in a row. Wow. Um, Guy and I were doing these, or he helped me do, I did 10 days of 10 Ks in a row in early April. So I could really test myself. And I broke them up from doing one by 10 K with no breaks to two, five Ks to, you know, just splitting up the two and a half hours of time. And then middle of the month, we had this crazy weird ass snowstorm and this big ass tree fell on my house and smashed my, smashed my house and broke a window on my uh, roof of skylight. (laughs) And it was snowing and raining and I was upset and, angry and needed to fix it and decided I would climb up on the roof in the rain with my pajama pants on and my running shoes that weren't tied. And I slipped off the roof and landed on my foot, like a, like a ballerina on one foot. So all of the bones in my foot right before the ankle just got dislocated there. Um, a lot of ligaments hold them together. So Mm -hmm. it's a Liz Frank fracture, they call it. So I go to the doc and, you know, Doogie Hauser is my doctor. <laughs> I'm thinking like, this is, you know, crazy because he's, you know, way younger than me, but he is, he is New England's trauma orthopedic expert. So everybody goes to him. So I felt okay. And I said, um, he says, wow, ooh, sheesh, you know, this is not great, but I can put you back together again, but we got to wait a week for the surgery because of the swelling, blah, blah, blah. So he goes in, he does his magic. Um, and I'd asked him, you know, I says, you know, I got this little thing coming up in about 90 days. <laughs> and he says, you won't be in weight bearing physical therapy in 90 days. Mm-hmm. So you'll be on crutches. Mm-hmm. And so he, he made the decision to put me in a um, soft boot as opposed to a hard cast. So I could swim, get back into swimming. Yeah. So after the surgery, a month later, being on the couch, you know, I'm T minus eight weeks to the channel. I go and see him and he's, I said, you know, he says, Oh, it looks great. Everything's wonderful. And I'm like, okay. About that swimming part, you know, yeah. the, the, you know, thing. And, and he goes, well, you know, he goes, I can't tell you, you can go swim the channel. Yeah. I said, well, I'm not looking for that. I mean, can I swim? It's non-impact. Mm-hmm. And he says, you can't do anything to ding it or bump it or thump it. You know, you can drag it and that's it. And so with the help of, you know, guy and a whole bunch of people, I would go to the beach, 
I would crutch to the water's edge. I'd hand my crutches to Guy. Guy would go take them back to the towel. I'd get on my hands and knees, and I'd crawl out, and we'd go swim for as long as I could take it because I had been out of the water for so long. Yeah. And so I, I just convinced myself, you know, because of my pride, testosterone, male thing, that I was not going to fail in New Hampshire by quitting and not going. Mm-hmm. So the longest swim I got in was probably, and I had done my qualifying swim the fall before, so I was all set there. So I got a, a seven and a half hour swim in a lake done as my long swim before my taper. And um, I go over to the channel and everybody's looking at me like, you know, once they learned I was going to be a swimmer, they're looking at me on my crutches and my boot. And they're like, yeah, he's one of the, you know, 60% and ain't going to make it this year. Oh. And, you know, everybody's got their own channel story of the anxiety that they go through and mine with all the drama of the foot, that aside, you know, going through the process of getting the phone calls, being told you're going, getting a call back and says you're not going was, you know, hard to handle, you know, and the tide was slipping. So he called up and, and I just said, we're good. I'm, I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. And they said, uh, well, conditions don't look that great, but you said you have been in some tough conditions. If you don't want to go, we're not going to take anybody else. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm in, I'm tired of sitting in my flat. You know, I can't go downtown. I can't walk. You know, it's just, it was brutal. And we went. And so, you know, I get out of the lee of, England and all of a sudden the winds kick up and I'm in, you know, four, three and four seas with eight foot swells. And oh gosh! And I just knew I had to do what I, you know, cause I had to do was my job. The captain would do their job, the crew. And I just put my head down and turned the paddles. And I remembered what Liz Fry said to me. She said, don't look for France. Mm-hmm. No. Look for France when you see it in the shallows. Mm, and so I, I would always turn away from France when I fed just because I didn't want to see the light Yeah, seven hours away. Right. Know? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And so just, you know, struggled through it. And, you know, I realized that, you know, all of my goals are not going to come to fruition other than if I finish, which was the goal. I, I, my goal was to, to swim in an average time. I wanted to be the average kid from New Hampshire. And little did I know that there had already been a New Hampshire swimmer that swam the channel that I oh. found out later on. Oh, and I wondered, I thought I was going to be the first. You know? <laughs> and um, that was a big deal, you know, because I've never done anything first. Mm-hmm. So especially in this newly found sport. Mm-hmm. So I'm, ultimately, I, you know, I make it to France, you know, somehow climb the upper deck, you know, with one foot and then one grabbing foot. me and, and pulling me by the bathing suit. And I had a, you know, just like everybody, you took on a lot of salt. I was puking, you know, but it passed through me, mm-hmm. right? And so I had, okay, diarrhea. And I mm-hmm. had to go down two floors of the boat in those seas to go to the bathroom just to crawl all the way back up and then have to go back right back down again. Oh, gosh. And it was just like, just not fun, right? It was just, that was the bad part about it. <laughs> this is the return trip back from France. Yeah, all yeah. the way back, you know. And, you know, we get back and I remember being at the top of the gangway waiting for the car to come pick us up and I'm hunched over on my crutches. I've got my hood over my head and a good friend of mine that was part of my crew, John McMahon, he's a very comical character. 
and he's a tall guy. And so everybody watched, you, you know, watched me on the radar and uh, um, on the GPS. And they came, a group of uh, relay team came over from, from uh, an English team. And they go right up to John and they're like, brilliant swim, mate. Unbelievable <laughs> in fast sport conditions. How are you feeling, mate? Goes, I'm feeling great. And I passed out for the first two hours. I slept. It took two, two dramamine. And then they, he goes, why don't you go talk to the guy that swam over there? And they're like, and Jesus, he's wearing braces and all this. And it was just like crazy. And then the next day, everybody comes, you know, as I'm downtown, you know, going for coffee. And, you know, everybody's like, everybody knew it was me because I'm the only guy on crutches. And so everybody came up and was very, you know, welcoming and said, congratulations. But I thought it was a damn fluke. Because, you know, my time was um, better than average, which was crazy for the conditions. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I could have went down to Dover Harbor and swum back and forth for a while. That, yeah. But I didn't want to be that American. <laughs> right. You know, I swim the channel, come down, he's, you know, rubbing it in. So, you know, I just enjoyed it, you know, and tried to do a little sightseeing. But I did think it was a fluke. And somebody introduced the concept of the triple crown to me. And I'm like, Mm. well, you know, I mean, I just learned so much about myself in England. Nothing. Bring it, you know, whatever's next I can take, (laughs) Right. you know, after throwing up and having, you know, intestinal problems and eight foot swells and a broken foot. uh, You know, so I signed up for New York. And again, goal being wanting to be the average time. And this was under the MIMS flag back Mm -hmm. then. Um, and a lot of trauma there. You send your money in, you don't hear anything except, you know, two days before you go. And all the people that went ahead of you were calling you from England, asking me to drive down to see if there's lights on in the office, not knowing where New Hampshire is, (laughs) New York city. So, you know, in New York was a great swim. Um, you know, it was fast, obviously. Um, I, uh, my stroke style kind of blew away the, um, the uh, uh, calculation of how long it would take me. Hmm. Um, so when I, I started in the East river and came around the Hudson, the race director was on my boat and there was only one other guy in the water, Rohans Moray. We all know he, I, I met him in England. He was staying with me and went out a few days after I did. Hmm. Um, and I was supposed to meet Rohans around um, man, or, um, battery park so that we could go through the ferry part together you know, and not be too much of a disruption. I somehow got to the Hudson pretty quickly. And, you know, the race director says, you need to, you need to cut your speed back by like 50%. Oh, wow. He said, you are so far ahead of schedule. You're going to get to battery park an hour ahead of the, the tide change. Oh, wow. Means You're going to swim down to governor's Island and you're going to tread water for an hour. No oh, man. Until you can jump back in the flow and head east because you're not going to turn the corner, you know. Wow. So they took me out of the deep part of the Hudson and they left Rohan's in the main flow. And so my my vision, my view of the Intrepid was like this because I was that <laughs> that close. The other thing that was a bummer was I was that close to the garbage pier. Right, right. But um, we got to Battery, had to pull over into um, – um, Brooklyn for a little while just to hang out for like 10 or 15 minutes um, to for the current to change and then we jump back in. 
and um, um, had a good finish. It was great. So then Catalina comes up next, and I'm like, okay, I'm feeling pretty seasoned, like I belong in this community. You know, I've done two of the big things. I've been lucky that they both happened, and you know, without incident, um, unlike Memphis Magog and Sass. But I, so maybe that's good. I'm lucky. We set up for Catalina. Um, you know, my training that I was a little bit less from a volume standpoint because of probably because I knew I could take whatever was going to be thrown at me from a, an ocean standpoint. And then mm-hmm. I just knew that I could just mentally overtake it. You know, I felt mm-hmm. that confident. So we get out there and, you know, uh, uh, I guess in, along the way I, I get set up with two kayakers. One's an ocean, uh, ocean researcher lives on Catalina. Um, another guy's paddled five or six times. Um, probably 20 days out, I get a call that the ocean um, researcher can't paddle for me. The other guy says, I'll do it all myself, no problem. I'm like, okay, cool, because Margaret did that for me in New York. You know, she did the whole thing. So professional kayakers could probably do that. So I'm in my hotel. It's T minus 48 hours before I go out and I get a call from somebody at the Federation that says, hey, you know, Heard you had some problems with your kayak, but you're all set with the guy. And um, they said, we just wanted to let you know in full disclosure that um, this guy's riding a new kayak. He's capsized it a couple of times. He's ran into the powerboat. Um, He says he has swum the channel, but he has been in the channel, hasn't made it. And I'm like, great. This is exactly (laughs) what I need. And they're like, so I just said, I says, you're really going to call me up 48 hours as an experienced open water swimmer. And you're going to dump this on me. Mm. You know, I mean, you should have just not told me, right. I should have just dealt with it. So now my anxiety is, I'm just like, well, if you need help getting another kayaker and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I need help getting another kayaker. So they got another kayaker and, and that was great. Cause they split the way. Um, and, uh, you know, halfway through the night, probably four hours in, I stop for fuel and they tell me that the kayaks uh, uh, mirage drive thing is all fouled up oh, and no. tied up with rope or seaweed or something. And they said, we got to haul it up on the swim deck of the, of the boat and the bottom scratcher and we got to fix it. It's pitch black out. You know, you can't see California. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to sit here. I'm not. (laughs) So I just said, which way? And they said, just follow the heading of the boat. And I said, I'm going. And so I just took off and I said, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. But I was not going to let it happen sitting there. Yeah. And so I just went off and, you know, it got really dark really fast without those lights around. And it was the most surreal experience. You know, it was really cool. Yeah. And then the power boat caught up and then the kayaker caught up and then, you know, we, we made it to shore and I'm like, you know, I it, short, the shore finish was, uh, you know, thrashed on the rocky shore and I, you know, got all cut open, you know, from hitting the rocks in three or four places. And I'm can see myself bleeding and looking at the, you know, the bottom scratcher that looks like it's about a mile away and I have to swim bleeding. Right. In known shark infested waters, which is my <laughs> biggest fear, you know, ringing the dinner bell, right? 
And all I could think of was my friend John McMahon was with me. And they said, go for the guy in the wetsuit. Go for the guy in the wetsuit. Don't take the one that's bloated and white, you know, from his swim. And so I, you know, I ended up, you know, um, becoming the, you know, the only person from New Hampshire, at the, you know, still, I guess, um, that did the Triple Crown. Nice. And after, after that, life really changed because, you know, people started to ask me to do the typical public speaking. And I, you know, along the way, a lot of people asked me to help them with swimming. And I figured out I could do clinics as fundraisers, you know, for a couple of local causes and started to get more into coaching. And what I realized was that, you know, having been at Masters and, and I think all the Masters coaches, coaches are great, but I, I have a challenge with folks that just kind of sit up on the deck and they say you need to need to this and i'm like i'm I'm doing that i'm michael phelps over here you know and they're like you know you need to do it but so i'm obviously you know not doing it and so what i realized is that i would tell people that hey you're not doing it and they're like here's the video that shows it let's get out of the water and see if we can do it and then i just realized that over time, I just started to incorporate, you know, more of the core awareness and Pilates into my coaching because it's what worked, you know, mm-hmm. and it's what helped me figure out the body position. You know, the mm-hmm. rest is a, a good catch and turnover. Right. And so, uh, you know, um, my local, somebody nominated me for a TED talk, a TEDx talk. Wow. And I did that. And, um, I've got a whole group of friends that are these crazy endurance people that, you know, ice climb, they ski down, um, you know, the back bowls of remote heliskiing, all this mm-hmm. stuff, marathon yeah. runners, Ironman triathletes. And one guy decided to have the idea to create a movie about us and submit it to the film festival. All of us that give back the charity. Mm-hmm. So one of our buddies is a producer kind of guy. And so they start doing things and I submit what little film and photographs I had because I didn't really do this for any other purpose than myself. And uh, he interviewed me and we did some swimming, you know, in the local river and stuff like that. And um, so he asked me to come over to do voiceover work. And so I said, how's the film coming? Can I see Andrea's part of her skiing down the, you know, this Tuckerman's ravine out here, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Like, well, the video, the movie kind of changed. And I'm like, how did that, what do you mean? And I said, well, you're the best story for the movie. <laughs> so we're just going to do the movie about you. And my friends made this movie about this thing we called an allegedly good swimmer, because all of a sudden people are like, wow, you're, you know, on this list of, you know, the triple crown list is pretty short. Yeah. And, um, you know, that the crazy part of it, um, was, the humble beginnings I had of no swimming to figuring this out mm-hmm. led to the triple crown. And after, after that August, there was a, a thing on the MSF that says, you know, who, who swum the triple crown the fastest if you combine their times. Mm-hmm. And so there was this, you know, kind of like, Oh, you know, it's so-and-so it's Liz it's, you know, Trent. people are guessing back and forth and the list starts going, you know, one, two, three, four, five. And it's all the people that we know. Right. And they're like seven, eight, nine, and it's all the people that we know. And they're like, "Who's number 10? I'm like, everybody I know is on, you know, the list. And they're like, Bob Fernald. 
<laughs> and I'm like, what? No, no, there's just no chance. And my three combined times put me there, but that lasted like a half a season because the next swimmer, right? You know, yeah, totally. So many now. But it was it was really a like a strange thing, and that's why I kind of do so much to try to give back. You know, um, Guy and I, when he was, you know, helping me by being on my side most of the time in all of our trainings, there was two or three of us that would go to these swims. And that was once or twice a week. Now we have nine swims a week with at least eight to sometimes 20 people. Wow. That's great. And it's in this whole community that's come out of this triathlete and open water swimming has been, you know, the best part of the, the journey is meeting all these people that are trying to overcome you know, a challenge and get in the open water. And that's, you know, people ask me, can I help them? And I'm like, I wish I could, you know, put it in a liquid and give it to you as a serum because it's right. so freaking cool what I'm able to do in the water and without any effort means I enjoy it more. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, probably the Bob Cliff note story <laughs> that these guys have all heard. Right. Yeah. Um, what did you, did you find any kind of carryovers from, I guess, cause especially I'm thinking like the mental part from marathon swimming when you or excuse me, from marathon running into marathon swimming, or when did you have to kind of expand your mind to really get around the mental stuff? <laughs> um, so in marathon running, the only mental part of training was being stupid enough to sign up to do it. <laughs> and I never, you know, I was an okay, you know, marathon runner, not a Boston qualifier level at all, but, and I only ran three of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never really got to the point where I did in swimming, where I had the proficiency okay. of the ability. Mm-hmm. It was painful every damn time. <laughs> and it was, and a lot of times because of the coaching I did, I probably saw 800 people across the finish line over the mm-hmm. course of five or six years. And that was so rewarding you know, singing Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London in the last 0.2 miles to somebody who's literally running on their elbows trying to mm. cross a finish line. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, it's good stuff, right? And so I don't think there was much mental for me, but one mental part of the training that I think, or part of the process, let's say that I talk about is, you know, I think we're all on the bell curve of ADHD, right? somewhere Mm -hmm. right and i wonder i wonder if i have in the the people that can do this us people if we have more channels to switch to when we're in the middle of doing this Hmm. you know because people will say what did you think of right and i'm and i'm like you know I thought of my stroke, every single right. stroke, all 37,000 of them, yeah. because I didn't want to take 38,000. Right. And then I'm like, well, I probably didn't think about my stroke the whole time. Right. I remember thinking about the Red Sox at one point, wondering if they were winning. But, you know, I, I go back and I'm trying to relive that. And so much happened all at once with the conditions. And I was like, I, I'm, I'm not sure I you know, I had maybe a couple of mantras, but it was all in and out. And that's what I mean by the channels. Mm -hmm. I was able to go, Oh, you know, there's a jellyfish, hold a belly in, you know, (laughs) that sort of thing. So I kept myself distracted with my distractions. 
Mm-hmm. But I would always go back to the stroke as, as soon as I knew I was distracted. It was like right back there to, you know, powerful streamline stroke, you know, as mm-hmm. best I can. Yeah. So wasn't much carry of marathoning. Right, right. Okay. Well, that's, that. I guess, to be fair, <laughs> I should ask the question about swimming. <laughs> what was, um, did you have any hard parts in that first? I mean, obviously you had the conditions and, you know, you had the broken foot, but you were certain you're going to get to France. Was there anything that you like, I don't know, unexpected, any hard part that you had to get through? Um, two parts. One was I got stuck in a washing machine, you know, conjure mm. of water where mm-hmm. you can take a look at the notes from my um, swim and you can see my speed go. Whoop. and it's like I'm fighting through it and I I knew it because the water was just you know in my face like this and so that was brutal because I didn't think I was ever going to pull through it I didn't know how long it was Mm -hmm. and then I I took on so much salt water that I I puked a lot yeah and I was proud you know so I'm you know taking a breath and I put my head down I'm like And I'm like, didn't want the crew to worry about me, right? right. <laughs> you know, little did I know they could see the vapor trail from eight foot above me, you know, coming out is my exhaust. And <laughs> they just kept pressing the fluids. And I, you know, used, um, I used infinite fuel. Mm-hmm. And I just kept, you know, making sure I knew what was going out of me. And I knew I had to drink more in order to compensate for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but fortunately I didn't get a weird electrolyte imbalance where I had any nausea or anything beyond the nausea, like yeah. any equilibrium issues or, or anything like that. So yeah. but those were the, those were the two things I, I didn't expect, you know, maybe I didn't expect a mini tanker to be about 200 meters from me. Right. <laughs> I thought, I thought we might not have a near miss like that. Like wow. I, I got no warning and I look up and I'm like, did you see that? That's close. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they're like, yeah, put your head down, you know, it's, it's moving. Right? So those were the two things I didn't really expect was the, the vomiting and the standstill swimming. Yeah. Right. How, um, how did it, how did, how do you describe the feeling of completing one of these big marathon swims? Uh, completing it or in the middle of it? Completing it. You know, the, the English channel was like, I can't believe, you know, that this is, you know, really happening. Um, and when I made it to my last feed, um, the captain, and it was Mike Orem, the, his son, that was um, the captain that day for me. He opened up a slider and he says, how you feeling? And I said, you know, like I've been shot at and missed and shit at and hit, to be honest with you. And he says, well, he says, uh, he goes, this is your last feed. And I look behind the boat and I, I can see the lighthouse. It's up there. Yeah. It's not there. It's like right, right. there. And I'm like, wow. oh, I got this. I got this. Right. So I'm thinking I have a half an hour. So I take off. Right. They're trying to drop a dinghy in the water. Mm. Right? So now the boat swimmer separates self from boat goes in the wrong direction than they wanted me to go. So I get swept around the south part of the cap by the tidal change. Mm-hmm. And um, then the, the dinghy caught up to me. And when I, I, you know, I got to shore and I crawled up 
And I didn't do anything ceremoniously. I didn't even know about the cool thing about grabbing a rock and going back. You know? <laughs> right. You know, I just like leaned up against this mossy green rock, you know, for a minute. And then I just see the captain or the, the dinghy pilot saying, you know, come on, come on. And he's up there going like this because the waves are crazy. And I can't get in the dinghy because it's too rough. Mm. And he's like, you're going to have to swim to the boat. <laughs> so when I was on shore, I had a different feeling than when I was back on the boat. Right. Um, Cause it was more exhaustion. I'm done. And then when I was back on the boat, it's like, it's really over. I really did it. I'm on my way back. And it's not because I got pulled. Right. So the, so the feeling was like, wow, that was, that was tough. And then the captain came up and he shook my hand and he says, you know, he goes two things. He says, that was one of the best swims I've seen in rough conditions like that. He goes, you just kept at it. You kept doing your job. Thank you for that. And he goes, and I get to make it home before my dad for high tea. <laughs> so, so he's like calling his dad on the radio, who's still out there with the other swimmer that decided not to turn back. And he's like, looks like, uh, you know, what's wrong? Is something wrong with your boat over there? <laughs> so anyways, long story short is that, you know, it was a different feeling of knowing that I had done something very difficult and that really built my confidence and guy knows this. We're the only two freaks maybe with DJ and John does this up in Maine and we're dragging Cheryl into the dark side of going out into post hurricane conditions as they come through new England, but very safely. Mm -hmm. And we are all convinced that we are much better channel swimmers that go to the channel because of the conditions that Gulf of Maine affords us in temperature Mm -hmm. and and conditions yeah so, yeah for sure i feel bad for all the people that um come from kansas and <laughs> right. can swim 10 12 13 hours without a yeah. problem but then they go in and just salt for 13 hours you know? right yeah yeah so. it's, it's a challenge what made you want to keep keep doing this marathon thing so after all of your puking and intestinal issues and what made you want to do another one <laughs> I, because I felt like I could have come back and, you know, the next day it's like, okay, so I'm just tired. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was my longest um, swim I had ever done time-wise, but I felt like if they had asked me for something more, I knew I could have gone on, but I didn't know what that was mm -hmm. yet, but I knew that I had more in me. So more in me led to that I have to prove that it's not a fluke. And that's where New York and the triple crown came from. It was like, okay, you know, the whole drama of, Oh, you know, New England kid who does only taking three swim lessons, breaks his foot and goes and conquers the channel. Right. You know, it's like, that's just, you know, it's a, it's a dramatic story, you know, right. foot, geez, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, so I made it, but it wasn't a one-off mm -hmm. because those things happen. And I had to prove to myself that, you know, it wasn't. And I remember on the bottom scratcher, you know, the captain, the, I forget his name off the top of my head, the crusty old guy with the beard. You know, he's like, what we do is dangerous. And he goes, you know, and we've got, you know, it's going to be rough out there. And my friend John says, yeah, you should have seen him in the channel. Because <laughs> we didn't see him very often because there would be a wave in between the two of us. And I knew that no matter what they through whatever the Pacific would throw at me, I could handle 
And I just felt, I felt really comfortable with having my ass handed to me in the English channel. And that, you know, didn't make a cocky impression, made a confident impression Mm -hmm. because I, you know, we still analyze the water every single time we jump into it as to what we're getting into Mm -hmm. uh, to be safe. And so, like I said, I, I feel like this thing hit me in the chest, you know, this ability and, you know, I, I didn't develop it over several decades. Right. You know, it was a gift through Pilates and I, I'm just sharing it. Yeah. Yeah. What have you learned about yourself through marathon swimming? Um, That I can take more than I thought I could. I mean, it was, you know, I didn't understand it at the time until people came back and they said, yeah, you know, they don't send boats out, you know, unless you're a relay at beyond force two. You know, if you're solo, it's they prefer 2.5 and below. They took you out knowing it was going to be three. And I'm like, so what is that? And I looked it up. And I'm like, yeah, I can remember not seeing the boat because you know, <laughs> it was, you know, they would disappear behind the wave. And, and I only have one short video clip of me in the water, um, essentially, and the rest are still photographs. Um, but it was a pretty impressive shot of me disappearing over the backside of a wave and and uh um the captain saying look at that one coming up on him look at that <laughs> i was like gosh even the captain thinks it's a brisk but i didn't know any of that until after the fact right so it taught me that you know i could handle a lot not only in swimming but also in the business world you know it's in my professional life it's like i don't get worked up as much it's like yeah it's just another eight foot swell it's just another mouthful of salt water right (laughs) yeah how do you teach that to people that kind of that ability to just go with the flow (laughs) it's hard yeah (laughs) (laughs) i think it's i can't decide if it's uh if it's just something some people have and some people don't or if it's something that can be taught you know yeah, I don't know, but it's, if I always say my mission is to share my joy or what I've learned with everybody I can before mm-hmm. I leave this place, you know, and it's a really cool thing. It's a really cool thing that we get to do right here, right? Yeah. You know, we've got a great resource both in the lakes and in the ocean. Yeah. Who's inspired you? So I mentioned Guy. Mm-hmm. He got me into this. Um, and... I was very happy when he decided to um, uh, commit to the channel because I had been asking and pushing and prodding and maybe doing some of this retaliatory bullying after, you know, like what happened to me out at Stanford. Um, And, uh, you know, eventually he, he came around. And so I was really excited about that. Um, On the day I finished the channel was my mom's birthday anniversary Mm. and she had passed many years ahead of time. And so had my father. And one of the channels that I, you know, switched to is my, you know, my family. And so my, my mom and my dad never got to see this part of me because I was just after I graduated from college that they passed away. Um, They never got to see what I did in my work life. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, there was a lot of times that uh, uh, in all of my events where you know, I'd be coming up on a, on a feed and I've had to like, 
okay, wipe my eyes because I'm crying in my goggles going mm-hmm. through that channel of remembering my family, but my mom and dad were a big, uh, big inspiration because I'm just kind of doing it for me, but it's, you know, something they would be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story, Bob. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you too. This is a great thing you do. As I said before, I think, I uh, it. yeah, it's a it's great fun. resource. <laughs> I can't stop. How many episodes? hundred. I think you're 99 of 99. interviews. Yeah. I've had a hundred like episodes. A couple of them are just me chit- chit- chattering away, but this is my right. 99th interview. Well, keep it up. I will. Keep it up. <laughs> I will. All righty, guys. guys. Thanks to uh, my swimming training partners. I for, can't wait uh, to come visit you guys there. somehow, some way. I'm going to come swim with you. <laughs> and, and likewise, you yeah, know, we should send a guy. Is DJ? Is DJ's house out there close to where um, Shannon is? I'm not exactly sure. I mean, he. It's where all these gnarly kite surfers go. Um, oh, must be the in big, a. He must be in the Columbia, which is up yeah. by Portland, closer to Portland. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not not exactly, but he, but he is he's out there regularly in in the summer. Um, I'm not quite sure what his plans are this year, but I expect I'll do do the same thing. Um, but uh, yeah, no, no, I mean, DJ is he's such a great adventurer. You're always going to find him, you know, <laughs> in those places where there's adventure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and you it. know everyone everyone should come and swim with us in yeah. post hurricane conditions. Ah. <laughs> it's the most fun you can have as a swimmer. It is just awesome. It sounds like it'd be a hard thing to plan to get there post hurricane. But <laughs> I, I, I guess so. I guess so. yeah. <laughs> I need to be swimming part time on the east coast or, or living part time on the east coast. Which you know, I the way our droughts are, in. it's possible. If we pooled our resource and bought like a small community swim place at like the destined locations like mm. you know everybody should go train in san francisco everybody should train in florida everybody should train in new england everybody should train in seattle or something like that yeah. and just say hey you know what there's 10 of us together you know we all kind of have these little locations let's call them mm-hmm. and um you know share the wealth you know absolutely yeah love that love that yeah for sure we have a big, big, big lake down, um, well, reservoir um, in Northern California. So it's, it's only like two hours from where I'm at in Southern Oregon. But um, I really want to host a camp there because it's it's surprisingly warm, like in April. Um, <laughs> anyway, on, on, and that like houseboats are prevalent because it's so big. It's yeah. like which uh, um, which reservoir? Lake Shasta. It's oh Lake yeah. Shasta. Yeah, I was going to do that. The pan last year, I had a whole crew set up to go and had to cancel everything, but and yeah, it's going to happen. Was, yeah. No, I think I think it's a wonderful idea and wonderful venue and it's a great time of year to get people Yeah, going. that's more than anything. I feel like you all on the East yeah. Coast would want maybe want to come out here and have some like respectable, you know, 59 62 degree water, right? <laughs> exactly. It's still I mean, cold that's, here. that's exactly what you need on the plan to be able to yeah. get in and do some good distance in kind of April and exactly. make a jump on the whole summer training yep. plan. Yep. So keep, keep in, stay, stay, stay in tune. And the only thing is we're res- running out of water out here is the problem. So our yeah. reservoirs are about 20%, or I guess down there, they're 48, 50, but still it's so low. We need the water. Yeah. We're yeah. supposed to get rain this week and we need it desperately. The ground's cracked and dry. It was 80 this last week. Oh man. I mean, 
I don't want to complain, but it's really when your when your reservoir is at 25 in April, like I don't know yeah. where we're gonna be. We're gonna have no water by August, so I'm right. planning to be uh, out your way. <laughs> come on out, yeah. <laughs> plenty of places to stay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, you well, guys. Have thanks a good again, day. Shannon. Yeah, I appreciate it. All right, I'll talk all to you right. all later. See you guys in the water. 5:30 <laughs> at Kingston tonight. 5:30 <laughs> at the park entrance. I'm going to fly out. All right, we'll see you later. Great job, Bob. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed today's interview. More than just a podcast, did you know that you can watch Marathon Swim Stories on YouTube? Or join us. We meet on Tuesdays at 5.30 a.m. Pacific, 8.30 a.m. Eastern, 13.30 GMT. Check out intrepidwater.com forward slash marathon swim stories to see who's up next. Thank you for listening.